You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what is going on? Eric Bach here, your host of the Look Great Naked podcast, where we help you look great naked without living in the gym. And today, we're going to cover nine workout tips that I wish I knew when I was 18 that I do know now at 34 years old with over 14 years of coaching experience. And it's always important to take time and reflect. You see, a lot of times people just run through life and they're always looking forward, always looking forward. When we take a step to actually look back that's when we really develop wisdom. That's when we can figure out what are the things that work for us, what didn't, and really cultivate a path for what we need to be doing going forward. And even more importantly, especially in today's society where there's so much information out there, you can always be chasing some new knowledge and you can always be comparing yourself against somebody else. The only way we can really measure progress is by looking backward, by looking back against where we were previously. And when you take time, as I like to do multiple times throughout the week, to look at where we've come from and the amount of progress that we have made, that's when you can really truly appreciate how much progress you are making in your own journey. And that itself is incredibly motivating. And today, before I jump into these nine key tips, just a quick story. So I was just grabbing lunch with uh, Lauren. So my wife, Lauren, she's getting ready. She's running a marathon coming up in September. She absolutely crushes it. It's actually really funny that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a meathead through and through, you know, you try to have me run. I mean, I can, but, uh, not ideal and Lauren would rather not lift. So opposites attract in that matter. But yesterday she had one of her long training runs. In fact, it was a, a 20 mile run, which I can't even personally fathom taking on a 20 mile run. And um, she said, you know what? Today, the last thing I wanted to do was work out. And that's exactly why I worked out. She's like, I'm not gonna be a little bitch <laughs> in her exact words. And uh, so she knocked out her, her workout in the garage and got it done regardless. And that's the mindset that you ultimately have to have because you're not always going to be motivated to do the things that you need to do in fitness every, and everywhere else in life, right? But ultimately, if you want to accomplish great things, whether that's with your body, your business, your brain, your relationships, whatever it is, you have to work against the friction and the things that tell us to not act when we know we need to. That's why over on this wall over here, I've got a Joe Rogan picture that says, conquer your inner bitch, because we all have that inner bitch who wants to pull us off of our game, who wants that weakness to seep in. And when you let that weakness win, when you let that little bit of you that says, oh, not today, I'm not motivated, I don't feel good. When you get, when you let that shit win, it slowly erodes your confidence. It slowly erodes your self-belief. And step-by-step, step, that is how you fall off track. So we don't want you to fall off track. And today, now what we're going to do is we're going to dig right in and we're going to talk about nine workout tips I wish I knew at 18 years old. And uh, make sure that you stay tuned to number seven, especially if you have questions about cardio, because there's going to be a little bit of nuance and some specific components in here directly. Number one is get strong as fuck first. That is your foundation, right? We need to get strong on big compound movement patterns because strength is the foundation of everything else. When you get stronger in exercises like a squat, variations of a deadlift, a press, a pull, a carry, a lunge, whatever it is, these big compound exercises that impact the greatest amount of muscle mass that you have on your body, this will directly help you build muscle when you are a beginner. But more importantly, when you get stronger, this improves your work capacity. If you have somebody who can do a back squat with 315 pounds, training with somebody who can do 225 for three reps, right? If those people are training together and then they have a 10 rep set, guess who's going to be able to do more weight for the 10 reps? 
the person who has that bigger base and foundation of strength, right? So indirectly, what getting stronger can do, it's going to allow you to lift more weight for more reps to create more damage, to create more tension within your muscles, to maximize the muscle growth process. And if your goal is to lose fat right now, well, guess what? Heavy strength training increases myogenic tone. So a lot of people hear the word tone. They're like, I want to tone up. I want to tone my body, whatever it is. Well, tone, we're talking about what you can actually do. What these people are referring to is often definition. However, tone, if you want to be able to have muscles that appear more dense, more defined, even at rest, heavy strength training improves myogenic tone directly within the muscle. So we want to focus on strength first as the priority in your training. Without that foundation, your ability to maximize muscle growth and even leanness can truly be held back because you haven't mastered these components. In addition, when you focus on getting strong and making that the primary goal for a while, that's going to teach you how to treat strength as a skill because strength is a skill. When you go through the process of getting stronger on a bench, on a squat, on a deadlift, any of these compound exercises, you learn how to optimize your technique to the point where you become an expert at knowing how your body moves. And ultimately, especially when it comes to transforming the way that your body looks, looks down the road, you need to be able to have rock solid technique so you can shift your focus from just pushing my knees out, from just completing the lift to being able to get into your muscle to improving that mind-muscle connection. So when you focus on strength as a foundation and you treat strength as a skill in terms of the way that you're developing your skill as a lifter, as an exerciser, that gives you the foundational skill set to apply all these different methods within your training much more effective long-term. The people who skip out and emphasizing strength, really their body doesn't change over time. They're using the same weight that they were three years ago, five years ago. 10 years ago. And then they're wondering, how come none of these programs work? How come my nutrition doesn't work? Well, the reality is you did not create progressive overload. You did not progressively overload your tissues by getting strong enough to force your body to change. So above all else, get strong as fuck first. That is your foundation for improving every other aspect that you could inside of the gym. Number two, don't marry the big three, the bench, squat, and the deadlift. Now I'll come from the performance world where for me, we're building performance, we're optimizing the way that people could perform in terms of strength, speed, power, and transferring that over into their athletic endeavor. Now, exercises like the bench, squat, and deadlift can be a big component of that. But where some of this runs a little bit rampant and extreme, especially if you look even 10 years ago, where everybody was putting powerlifting and these, these big strength movements on a pedestal. It's not that exercises like the bench and the squat and the deadlift are not incredible exercises. The issue comes that people marry those exercises as hardcore, as you have to do them. And if you don't do them, you're a pussy, whatever it is, right? You see stuff like this all the time in the fitness industry. What we need to think about is not just focusing on exercise selection in terms of what the specific exercise is, like a barbell bench, a barbell back squat, a deadlift, but instead movement patterns. Because especially as you get more training volume under your belt, the more time that you have with your lifting, the more these barbell exercises don't necessarily serve your body. You might be in a position where your shoulders are beat up, where you have to do a dumbbell bench press, or you have to focus on a front squat because you know you can't maintain optimal spinal position on a back squat. Or instead of a deadlift, you do a trap bar deadlift because your L4, L5 is flexed and rotated, something like that, right? It's important to be good with these big compound exercises that we've talked about, 
but you don't have to marry the big bench squat and deadlift because some coach 10 years ago said this is the most hardcore thing to do. I get it that they're fun, but it's more important to find exercises within movement patterns that fit your body for where it is now. Because if you're always force feeding an exercise with suboptimal technique, well, guess what? Eventually, when you do reps with bad technique, your body's going to break down. It's just a matter of when. So don't force feed the things that aren't serving your body. Instead, find the exercises, find the movement patterns that are most beneficial to your body without causing unnecessary joint pain, and then focus on improving lifts or improving your performance on those key lifts. Lesson number three, to build muscle, you have to squeeze the muscle. To build strength, you have to execute the lift. This is a very important distinction, especially as I mentioned, coming from the performance side of the world. I get a lot of people who are former athletes who say, Eric, you know what? I've been strong, I've been active, but I don't really look like I lift. I wanna look like I lift now. Got it. So here's the big distinction. When you're generally training for performance, and this can even be strength performance, you're focused on executing the lift against the load, right? You're focused on completing the squat, completing the deadlift, completing the power clean, jumping as high as you can. When it comes to transforming your body, yes, that foundational piece is important to know how to execute a lift for the performance aspect. But if you want to build muscle, you have to be able to squeeze the muscle. You have to have that mind-muscle connection. You have to be able to get into it and really focus on maximizing the quality of every single contraction that you have inside of a workout. Because ultimately, that's what we can control, right? So here's a quick example. If you're trying to get strong in a pull-up, well, you might just be focused on adding weight and pulling your chin to the bar. However, if you want to build muscle, a couple different cues. You might be thinking about driving your elbows down and really squeezing your lats at the top of that movement. Another example would be instead of just running through and doing a dumbbell biceps curl, imagine your biceps stretching all the way down for three to four seconds and then squeezing and contracting as hard as you can as if you're trying to make a mountain peak at the top of each muscular contraction. This subtle difference in the way that you approach your training and the way that you mentally engage yourself when it comes to your performance makes a huge difference in how effective an exercise is for transforming your body. So when it comes to strength, yes, you need to focus on executing the lift itself, these different cues that come in and optimizing the way that you can perform. When it comes to building lean muscle, we have to think about squeezing that particular target muscle. We have to think about controlling that eccentric and then focus on being smooth out of your transition and squeezing as hard as you can. If you're struggling with your training right now and your body's not changing, I want you to slow down. I want you to take three to four seconds on your reps to lower under control. And at the top of each, think about the muscles that are supposed to be working. Imagine squeezing them on a bicep curl. Think about flexing that bicep as hard as you can. When you're doing a tricep push down, think about squeezing and holding the bottom range of motion, flexing that tricep as hard as you can. If you're doing a push up or a bench press, imagine your nipples are trying to squeeze together and your pecs fire as hard as possible. When you're doing a lat pull down or a pull up, imagine driving your elbows down and squeezing those lats down as hard as you can. These are all important cues. And if you want to transform your body, you have to maximize the contraction of the muscle each and every single time that you lift a weight. That makes such a huge profound difference in the way that you're lifting. And if you look at elite level bodybuilders, you're going to notice they're not just throwing as much weight on as they can. They aren't. They're focusing on how hard can I squeeze? How can I sculpt? How can I flex? How can I contract this muscle much harder? So understand the difference between what your goals are. And you can oscillate between the two or within a program. For example, many times when I'm designing a coaching program for a client, we'll start with a heavy strength exercise. So it's going to have that external performance emphasis where I want them to execute the rep with the focus on adding more weight, maximizing the 
quality of the rep versus we might have something else later on where the reps are a little bit higher, where I want them to slow down. I want them to pause. I want them to squeeze and maximize the contraction. When you can learn to differentiate between these, you can apply them directly within the same training session or as your goals change throughout the process. Training tip number four that I wish I knew at 18 that I know now at 34. And this would be training and nutrition have to be in alignment. So here's a quick thing that I like to do whenever I'm talking with somebody who's coming in for a consultation, right? I want you to draw a triangle. And on that triangle, you're standing in the middle. And on the left side, we've got your training. On the right side, we have your nutrition. And across the bottom, we have your lifestyle. And what we need is we need all three of these areas to be functioning together if you want to get the best possible results. What happens with most people is they'll pick one training program. Hey, this sounds really cool. And then they'll pick whatever diet could be trendy, whatever is exciting right now, whatever worked in the past. And they'll pair them together without really considering the impact of their lifestyle or whether they're truly in alignment. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're doing a neck, you're doing a workout routine that is high volume. You got a lot of sets, a lot of reps, short rest, you're gassed, you're smoked the entire time, but then you're following a ketogenic diet. Well, guess what? If you're following a, a training program that might be optimized for building lean muscle and has a lot of training volume, well, guess what? Carbohydrates are going to be crucial to optimizing that muscle building experience because your body's going to burn through muscle glycogen to be the optimal fuel source for those particular workouts. However, if you don't have carbohydrates into your diet, guess what? You can't maximize recovery for the training program that you're doing. And if that stress is too high from that training program and you're not recovering based on what your diet is set up like, well, guess what? Your body's not going to change. So even if you're doing two things that could be potentially healthy, if they're misaligned, they're not going to work. And then the third component, as I mentioned, is your lifestyle. Take this into consideration. Let's say right now you're 35 years old and you're trying to train the same way that you did when you're 22. And so you're training. It's the same as when you're 22. But tell you what, now you've got two kids. You get five and a half, six hours of sleep a night. Your career is a lot more stressful. Your life is just more stressful in general. And then your diet, eh, you're still kind of eating like you just graduated college. Okay, well, here's what's going on, right? So you're training that same trigger that's used to transform your body is more stressful because 35, you're not 22, 23 anymore. This is the way it goes. But then your nutrition isn't going to meet that demand and your recovery is less. So a lot of times what happens in this case is you have people working incredibly hard, but they're not getting results because there's a misalignment between what is going on, the physiological trigger, that's your training, and then the recovery side, which is your nutrition, which is your sleep, which is your stress management. And so understand that when it comes to optimizing your body and building the body that you want, you have to have synergy. You have to have alignment between all these different things going on. Let's say you want to do a low carbohydrate diet. That's great, but you should take down your training volume so your body can actually recover from what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just going to be completely blown out, right? A very common example that I see, I'll give an example for, for women, right? An example for women would be, hey, yeah, I'm following a workout. I'm lifting weights three to four days a week, but I'm also doing you know a high intensity interval training class. And then I'm doing cardio after the gym two or three days a week. And I'm following a ketogenic diet because every time I eat carbohydrates, it feels like I gain body fat. Okay, well, let's, let's take this down a little bit. So when your training is based around exercises that use carbohydrates as the primary fuel source, which is most of them except for walking basically, right? And then you don't supply that for your body. Your body yet, can it go through, can it create, you know, glucose, can it do some of that stuff and can we restore glycogen? Yeah, we, I mean, we can break down fats for fuel, all this stuff. However, it's not optimized. So just because your body can do certain things, it doesn't mean it's optimized. And so what happens in this case with women is, okay, you're training hard, but you don't have enough fuel and then you're stressed because you get more stressed and then you're following a low calorie, low carbohydrate diet. And so 
pretty soon that stress goes up, your sleep goes down, thyroid function can go down. And so can your body's ability to actually handle carbohydrates. So then as soon as you overeat carbohydrates, which often come in the form of junk food for many people, because it's more of a stress reaction at this point, then you gain body weight and then you're like, oh my God, it's the carbohydrates. Well, it's not really the carbs. It's one, your body is misaligned between the training that you're doing, which is causing a hyper stress state. And then when you're in that hyper stress state, you're grabbing foods that are gonna be higher in sugar that your body can't really handle right now because of what you did with the diet and the lack of recovery side, not because carbohydrates are bad. So there has to be an alignment between the things that you're doing. And this is where a lot of people run into battles. They run into battles because they're doing something that worked before that no longer works the same way. They're doing something that seems to be trendy, but it doesn't align with what they're doing with their workouts or with their nutrition. And so what you need more than anything is getting those things into alignment, your training, nutrition, and your lifestyle in order to get the best possible results. Workout tip number five that I wish I knew at 18 that I know at 34. If you are not proactively reducing your stress, stress is proactively sabotaging your results. What does this mean? As life gets more stressful, we have different things going on that changes the way that our body can recover. So let's say, for example, you're getting five hours of sleep at night, you're waking up, maybe you've got work stress going on, your brain is ruminating at night, um, the overall state of the world sometimes isn't great, causing you some external stress, um, you had a fight with your spouse, all these different components. Well, if we look at what happens to your body when you're in a stressed out state, it's not good, right? So stress, increase cortisol, your body's primary stress hormone. It stays chronically elevated. This can lead to a lot of issues from disease, inflammation, so on and so forth. And chronically elevated cortisol can also decrease the way that thyroid functions. And it can decrease insulin sensitivity, how well your body handles carbohydrates. And oh, by the way, when we're stressed, what kind of food choices are we making? Probably not good, right? If you come home after a long day, you didn't get enough sleep last night and you're hyper stressed out and you have no good food, you might be making an order to DoorDash that you're not proud of later on, right? So ultimately what we have to think about is a lot of times what happens is stress creeps up from everything else in our life and we try to keep everything else the same. It doesn't work that way. We have to think about this synergy component that we just referred to. And if we're not proactively reducing stress, stress will proactively lead us to act incongruently with what we want. We're gonna cheat on our diet. We're gonna reach for that vice. We're gonna skip a workout even though we know that we should not, right? And so what, we, what do we need to do to proactively reduce stress? Couple things. Number one is gonna be optimizing sleep. Everything else is a detail in comparison to optimizing sleep. So number one, focus on going to bed and waking up at the same time each day as close as you can. Even on weekends, I just give myself like a, a one hour buffer. So I get a little bit more sleep, but nothing more than that. Reason is if you're going to bed and waking up at different times, you're effectively giving yourself a jet lag each and every single day. We do not want that. And those inconsistencies in energy lead to inconsistencies of stress and pretty soon you're starting the day behind. Number two, three hours before bed, try to cut off your food intake. Reason is when we're eating at night, it's not that it's gonna cause us to gain weight, it's gonna decrease our ability to sleep. If your body is still focused on digesting food, guess what it's not gonna be able to be focused on as much. It's not going to be able to go through and do the mental defragmentation, memory consolidation, stress-reducing process that it does at night. So it's not that eating after weight causes you to gain weight. Eating after eight causes you to struggle to actually fully cognitively repair the damage that is going on with the recovery process. Number two, two hours before bed, try to cut off any work, anything else that can be causing more inputs. As an example, right here, and if you're seeing this on video, I just held up my calendar. I write down everything I need to be doing the next day before I leave work, right? And so when I'm done, I am done. If I allow work to bleed over into that two hour window, it can be very easy to check email and some bullshit problem that popped up in your day is then causing you to ruminate. I strongly suggest keeping a journal 
writing down everything that needs to get done before you leave the office for the day so you can come back and deal with that problem then. In addition, you want to set some hard boundaries and guidelines in terms of when people can actually reach you. Obviously, if you're on call, that's something a little bit different. But if you set the expectation that you are not available during certain times, people are going to respect that for the most part, right? You're treated the way that you set boundaries. And if you don't set boundaries and you're wondering why people are always reaching out, there's always a work emergency. It could be because you haven't set a boundary that's firm enough. Number one, try to stay away from screens within one hour of going to bed. Yes, I know you might be scrolling through Eric Bach on YouTube or Bach Performance on Instagram. I appreciate it. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm, I'm just kidding. But ultimately, right, when we are consuming content, we're consuming all these things that are quick dopamine hits that have blue light coming in. They are suppressing your body's ability to release melatonin and get to sleep. So try to put on or try to separate yourself from being in front of a screen. If you can't, try to use blue blocker glasses try to use a screen dimmer of some sort to help you optimize your sleep. Those components alone to optimize your sleep will help you dramatically reduce your stress and as a result, look great naked without living in the gym. Other things in that would be baseline things like meditation and frankly, reducing things that cause you stress. So if you get wired up watching the news, maybe you should not watch the news. These are just different examples. Tip number six of workout tips that I wish I knew at 18 that I know now at 34. Muscle confusion is bullshit. Your body, your muscles do not get confused. They do not get confused. And we do not want to get them overly confused. You see, this comes back to what I mentioned during the first tip, and that is strength is a skill. In order to help optimize your body, if you want to get to a point where you can maximize building lean muscle, if you want to build your glutes, if you want to build your arms, you want to build your lats, whatever it is, you have to be good at exercising first. You have to be good at actually doing the exercise at optimizing the way that it's performed, at squeezing and having a great muscular contraction. If you're always changing the stimulus on what you do, you're not gonna get better. Yeah, you might feel a little bit sore, but that doesn't mean you're actually creating the desired response. Like soreness should be a byproduct of training, not the goal. And if you're constantly changing your exercises, you're constantly changing your programming, you're constantly tweaking this, tweaking that, and making adjustments on the fly, you're never building the skills of the actual training that you need to optimize what you're doing. In addition, if we look a little bit further, let's say you do a program for a week and then you fall off and then you start to add something new and then it's a completely different program three weeks later. Well, this program hopping, this prevents you from actually the cumulative effect of your training. You see, when you do your workouts, there's something that we call super compensation, meaning super compensation is effectively after you're done with your workouts, there's still a recovery process that, process that lags behind. So for example, let's say you do a four week workout block. Actually during that fifth week, your body is still in the process of recovering and maximizing the results that you were getting from that previous week or from that previous four week block. And so if you completely change what you're doing all the time, your body never has a chance to start stacking success. And then that super compensation effect never happens. And that super compensation effect is how our body puts resources in. That's how we get stronger. That's how we build muscle. And that's how we improve over time. So understand that strength is a skill. And if you're always confusing your muscles, if you're always changing what you're doing, you are not going to get the results that you should in the gym because you are not respecting the process nor giving your body the ability to fully recover from the hard work that you are doing. Instead of chasing muscle confusion, focus on completing complete workout programs, maximizing the quality of everything that you're doing in the gym and your results will be so, so much better. Don't get that monkey mind. Don't get that ADD. That is only going to hurt you in the long run. Tip number seven, cardio. Cardio is great for the brain, great for the heart, 
but average for body composition. Now, cardiovascular exercise, there's so many different ways to talk about this. We could talk about high intensity, we could talk about low intensity, we could talk about medium intensity. But overall, what we need to understand is a lot of people position cardio as the main thing that they do in the gym, which is okay from a health perspective. However, if body composition is the primary goal, it's not gonna be best. Instead, what I like to do for cardio is I like to have it on three different tiers when it comes to looking great naked without living in the gym. And so what is the first tier of cardiovascular exercise and what you should shoot for? Well, before we go there, strength training needs to be that foundation, right? So get three to five days of lifting, that's gonna be the foundational piece. But with cardio, what we should be doing is we should aim to be getting eight to 10,000 steps per day, all right? And the reason we wanna do this, this is a very simple baseline level of activity. You can do this with a couple of short walks throughout the day. Through parking further away from your you know, normal spot in the office and then walking the extra one to two minutes. We need to get a baseline level of, of activity, not just for losing body fat, but just for underlying health, right? All the data that comes out on sitting being incredibly destructive for your body, it's alarming, right? Like when you're sitting nonstop throughout the day and not moving for hours on end, your enzymes inside of your body that actually help control burning body fat slow down dramatically, right? On top of that, you're not getting as much blood circulation, lymph circulation, all of these different things going on. And so getting something like a, a baseline movement goal of eight to 10,000 steps is an incredible way to just sneak more activity in throughout the day to improve your underlying health. And so as a baseline, what I recommend a lot of my clients do, go for a 10 to 15 minute walk right around sunrise, right? Do something early in the morning, get the get the ball rolling, stack a win for the day. Number two, do something again right around lunch. So if you go out for lunch, add in a 10 minute walk right at the very end. And then in the evening, same thing. After you have dinner, grab the family and go for a 10 to 15 minute walk. If you can start to add these little bits of activity into your day, you're gonna be amazed not only how fast your body's gonna change, but you're gonna feel better. You're gonna look better. You're gonna be less stressed just by getting more active throughout the day. And as a reference point, the average American gets 4,000 to 5,000 steps per day. Really not a whole lot, gang. But if you can get it up to eight to 10,000, you're gonna lose a lot more body fat than you anticipated. Now, let's say that you're already in the gym, you're working out, and you're getting that eight to 10,000 steps per day. Let's graduate. Okay, so what's the next step? The next step would be zone two cardio. So zone two cardio is cardiovascular exercise. That's a little bit challenging. It's above what you would be doing walking, but you should be able to still hold a conversation. <clears throat> so one quick way to do this, and you can use really any tool that you want. You can use a bike, a rower. You can do different devices for three sets of 10 minutes each. But what we want is cyclical type movement where we are keeping our heart rate elevated throughout time. So it's not interval training, right? And what we do here, take your heart rate times 220. So 220 minus your age times 0.65. So roughly speaking for me as a 34 year old man, my target heart rate for zone two cardio, I'm anywhere from like 115 to 135. And I want to have a 30 minute time block twice per week where I'm focused on keeping my heart rate elevated to that amount. And so what I will do is, you know, I'll do something while I'll be on the bike for 10 to 15 minutes. And then maybe I'll go on like the step mill for 10 to 15 minutes. And then the third thing, um, I'll go on the rower, right? It's just about stacking these different things up and being able to keep the heart rate elevated consistently. And what we need to think about is this zone two cardio, what this does, similar to how we talk about a strength base, this builds your aerobic base. And so when you have a bigger aerobic base, it's going to be great for heart health. It's going to be great, great for cognitive health. And it's going to actually help your body use different energy substrates. So carbohydrates, protein, fats more effectively for optimal body composition. And we're going to start to have, again, a lot of those long-term health benefits that we need for cardiovascular exercise, right? So we want to get eight to 10,000 steps. That would be foundational piece number one. And then number two, if we graduate to that, we want to go zone two cardio twice per week, about 30 minutes, and your heart rate should be 220 
minus your age times about 0.65. If you're around my age, 34, about 110, 115 to 135 as a target heart rate during that entire duration. Now, let's say you have a shitload of time on your hands. You're already training consistently. You're getting no steps. You got that zone two cardio. Now you want to ratchet things up with some interval training, something higher intensity. Great. Big thing to understand with high intensity training you should be working past the point where you can't hold a conversation because the intensity is so high. A lot of people will do like an attempt at high intensity training and really they're only in zone two or zone three. They just don't have that cardiovascular base at the very beginning in order to actually ratchet it up to the intensity that they need. So if you're gonna do high intensity training, this needs to be all out effort, right? So for example, I box every Wednesday. Big shout out to Back Bay Boxing here in Charleston. And when I'm doing that, my heart rate is redlined for much of the activity, right? Because uh, my guy, Johnny, is just pushing me and whipping my ass the entire time. It's a great time, but I am absolutely exhausted between rounds uh, when we're going. But so when it comes to high intensity interval training, when it comes to hitting that zone three, four and five, you have to understand that to be able to put out enough intensity to get your heart rate up towards those maximal amounts, a lot of times you need a lot more rest. As an example, when we used to do NFL combine training, working with elite level athletes, sometimes your rest periods when you're doing something that's an all out activity is as high as one to 10 or one to 20. Meaning like if you're doing sprints for all out cardio and you're doing a 100 meter sprint and you get there in 15 seconds to optimally recover from something like that, you might need three for five minutes in between. So you can actually get to the point where you are hitting your heart rate up to that same amount and generating that much force. That's a little bit more on the performance side, but that's an important perspective to have, especially if you're doing something that's higher risk, like sprinting. Now, if you're doing something like an interval training class where your heart rate does stay you know, constantly elevated, understand that to a point, if you don't have that baseline foundation from the previous steps that we talked about, the baseline steps and that aerobic base, your ability to continuously get to those higher levels of heart rate and actually recover are gonna be limited. That's why if you just start doing interval training for the first time in a long time and you go balls out right away, you might be crushed after five minutes, right? Because you don't have that aerobic base beforehand to actually recover and get your heart rate back down before you can perform again. So when it comes to that, right, if you want to be able to add that high intensity interval training one to two times per week is perfect. On top of that zone two cardio, you can even replace one of those days. A lot of times if the intensity is going to be high enough, we're really redlining your heart rate up to that maximum amount, then we're probably talking, you know, 10 to 20 seconds on and it could be a minute off and you're doing this for 10 to 20 minutes tops. So it's not a 30 minute athletic conditioning class where you're jumping around and doing all this stuff. It should be very focused effort. In order to do that, you can do things like hill sprints. You can use battle ropes. You can use an air bike. You can use any of the modalities that you typically see. You just have to ratchet up the intensity and then have the appropriate rest period. You want that rest period to be enough where your body can actually clear the lactate, where you can actually build some local muscular endurance, and then ratchet that activity back up within a meaningful time. All right, workout tip number eight for the things I wish I knew at 18 that I know now at 34, that would be no pain, no gain, often means no gains and lots of pain. You see, people tend to wear their training as a badge of honor. People like to be hardcore. They like to talk about injuries, the things that they worked around and all this stuff. Ultimately, listen, you gotta learn the difference between good pain and bad pain. And so good pain could be the burning that you're feeling in your biceps during a set of curls. It could be the way that your legs are on fire during a set of bike intervals that have you absolutely you know, redlining your heart rate for a bit. However, there's a difference between that pain and then the chronic ache and pain that you have in your knees, the nonstop stiffness and the occasional jabbing pain that you have in your back. You see, when you are having these pains, 
that are more indicative of an injury, of some long-term joint health, and you're consistently doing things that are causing that pain to come back, you're eventually going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price in terms of big injuries. You're going to pay the price in terms of physical therapy, in terms of needing more massage therapy. And this kind of ties back to not living and dying by any particular exercises and instead finding the exercises and the training methods that are best for your body right now. If you're always training with that pain going on, again, the chances of something happening are not great. That doesn't mean that you should stop training. That's never what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be able to find the exercises that help improve your body versus cause more pain and dysfunction. And when you find those exercises, you don't need to keep changing them up. You can find the exercises that work best for you and just get world-class at their execution. That is going to be the way to be able to build the body that you want and do so in a way that doesn't beat the crap out of your joints. And tip number nine of workout tips I wish I knew at 18 that I know now at 34, and it's that success comes from the ruthless execution of the basics. The best bodies, the people who have the best performance, the best health, they don't focus on doing tonal, on all these like last second gadgets that come out everywhere on social media, on whatever gimmicky diet is out there. They focus on basic exercises, right? You know what's crazy? If you look at the majority of people who have the best bodies in the world, what type of movements are they focused on? They're focused on a squat movement, a deadlift movement. They're focused on a bench press movement, a overhead press, a row, a carry, a lunge. And guess what? When you're looking at the best performing athletes in the world, they are doing squats, types of deadlifts or types of cleans, bench presses, horizontal presses, vertical presses, all of these basics that we talk about consistently. And they're most likely doing with barbells, specialty bars, dumbbells, kettlebells, and occasionally some machines. It's not the latest gadget that comes out that is being sold for like $3,000 that attaches to a wall. It's not any of these other individual devices. Even if you see these people endorsing those devices, it's very unlikely that that's the workout equipment that they use to get the body or the level of performance that they do have. No, success doesn't come from gimmicks. It doesn't come from the latest fad. It doesn't come from any of that bullshit. Success comes from the ruthless execution of the basics. It comes from basic tools. It comes from getting stronger over time. It comes from progressive tension overload. It comes from eating foods that generally had a face or came from the ground that are high in nutrients, but lower in calories, not completely demonizing one macronutrient here or another one over there. And it comes from sleeping, recovering, and taking care of your body, not just jumping in an ice bath and then trying to neglect five hours of sleep by drinking seven cups of coffee. Success comes from the ruthless execution of the basics. And if you apply that and these other eight tips that we've talked about directly, you can radically transform your body. It doesn't need to be complicated. You don't need to live in the gym. You don't need all the gimmicks. What you do need is you need a simple, a straightforward plan. One that factors in the synergy between your training, your nutrition, and your lifestyle. And if you want to get one of those plans, all you need to do is head over to bachperformance.com backslash call. You apply and you and I will hop on a strategy call and break down the step-by-step process that you need to look great naked without living in the gym. Gang, hope you enjoyed this podcast. I had a blast. If you have any questions, comments, please drop them in the comments section below. And if you're loving this podcast so far, drop me a five-star review and I'll reach out and hook you up with something special. All right. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. 
The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend, 